Welcome to the podcast channel of the East Bay Unity Intergroup of Overeaters Anonymous. The opinions expressed here are those of individual members and do not represent OA as a whole. For more information about our intergroup, please visit our website at eastbayoa.org. Good morning, my name is George. I'm a compulsive overeater. Before I begin, I need to be in fit spiritual condition in order to be able to share this morning. So please join me in the we version of the serenity prayer. God, grant us the serenity to accept the the things we cannot change, the courage to change the things we can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Thank you. I want to acknowledge those who came before us and showed us how to recover. I want to thank Roseanne and the early pioneers of OA who paved the way and gave us the tools that we can use in order to live abstinently, relieved of our compulsion around food. I particularly want to thank Bill W. and Dr. Bob and the early pioneers of AA who shared shared with us that there was a way out of our dilemma. It is called the 12 Steps, A True Design for Living. I'm forever grateful to them for providing the spiritual solution to our common problem. I wanna thank David for asking me to share today on the 10th step. In the past, I have often been reluctant to share. Even when I was abstinent and working a serious program, I was filled with a lot of shame and felt like I didn't really measure up to OA's standard. The fact is sharing is not something that comes naturally to me. After all, I'm a compulsive overeater, an addict, and I've never shared a thing in my life. Sharing is something that's new to me. It takes practice. So thanks for asking me to share this morning. Here are the facts that allow me to share in this program. I've always been a compulsive overeater. I've been in these rooms since January, 2005. My top weight was over 260 pounds. Through the grace of God and by working the steps, I was able to release over hundred pounds and have been able to keep most of it off for almost 10 years. It took coming into recovery for me to finally realize the depth of the disease I suffer from. Like alcoholism, it has three components, a physical compulsion, an obsession of the mind, a spiritual component. I call myself a compulsive overeater, and that is true. But in fact, who you were looking at this morning is really an ex-junkie. For most of my life, I've been addicted to junk food in all its various forms and shapes. While I was younger, I was an extreme emotional isolator. Growing up, my closest friends were the Frito Bandito, the Pillsbury Doughboy, and Ronald McDonald. There wasn't a junk food group that I wasn't on intimate troops with, terms with. However, even calling me an ex-junkie doesn't really get to the depth of my illness. You see, I am a seriously sick person. I suffer from what Bill W. calls a soul sickness. The symptoms of my spiritual disease, particular disease, all begin with S. I'm selfish, self-absorbed, self-satisfied, self-righteous, and incredibly stubborn. In a word, self-will, one riot. Since being in recovery, I've also discovered that the remedy for my disease also began with an S. My original sponsor drummed into me that no matter what the problem was I was facing, the solution was always more spiritual development. For most of my life, I considered myself a moral person following a very disciplined spiritual path. Those who didn't really know me saw me as kind, considerate, patient, generous, 
always thinking of others. In fact, I would say that most of my life has been spent in service, giving back to the community and society. At least that is the way it appeared on the outside. But to those who really knew me, they saw another George, someone who was filled with anger and rage, a workaholic, a man who was not in control of his emotions. I abused all of the basic human appetites, whether they revolved around sex, drugs, alcohol, but especially food. In a word, I was a walking disaster. For years, I continued to struggle with and against these strong, powerful urges, which inevitably undermined even my best intentions. <clears throat> I drank because I thought it gave me courage to deal with all of my problems. I smoked pot to believe me of all the stress of my crazy life. I took ecstasy and other mind-altering drugs, thinking that it would give me the wisdom of a better life. And I ate, and I ate, and I ate. None of this worked. When I first came into these rooms over 16 years ago, I remember hearing someone say that they had a food problem, but they didn't feel like they were a compulsive reader. Huh, well, what's the difference? For them, certain foods, primarily sugar and foods high in carbohydrates, cause them problems. All right, so then what's a compulsive reader? That's someone who, once they start eating, can't stop. In fact, when I came into OA, I had my own version of this. For me, food was never a problem. Food was the solution to all my problems. At least that is what I told myself, and the weight continued to go up and up. After a lot of years of experimenting with all kinds of food plans, diets, exercise plans, I'm here this morning to tell you who I truly am. I'm just a compulsive overeater. When it comes to food, I have a stopping and a starting problem. Once I can't start, I can't stop. So I guess that actually makes me a compulsive overeater. Can you relate to that? I came into these rooms completely broken, beaten down, and defeated by my disease. Humiliated, I finally gave up. <clears throat> Humiliated, I finally gave up and admitted complete defeat. I'm going to share something with you that everyone in this room, whether you're a newcomer or someone who's been in the rooms for a long time, knows only too well. Before you came into OA, you knew you had a serious problem. Many of you, probably just like me, were also very aware of what your disease was doing to you. Yet, you didn't stop because just like me, you couldn't stop. The fact is, neither knowledge, yes, I am a compulsive overeater, nor awareness, why can I stop doing this, is a guarantee of recovery. It just gives you the right to claim your seat in these rooms. For those, let me restate this in another way. Like me, you may have got confused by all these seeming conflicting definitions of abstinence. I know I did. Here's the only fact you need to remember. Everybody, absolutely everybody in this room knows when they are abstinent and when they aren't. <clears throat> I spent a lot of years following other people's definition of abstinence, following their food plans. It didn't work for me. For me, getting abstinent was never the problem. It was staying abstinent, day in and day out, 
That was the challenging part. Eventually, the only way I stopped eating compulsively was by turning to a power greater than myself. When I got down on my knees and turned over my will and my life, including my food to my higher power, and began working the steps, miraculously, I was given the gift of abstinence and my compulsion to overeat was arrested. As I mentioned earlier, with the help of my higher power and by working this program, I was able to release 100 pounds and keep most of it off for almost 10 years. At this point, I thought that food was no longer a problem. At least that's what I told myself. I honestly thought I had it licked, but my story does not end there. Over the past few years, despite attending at least four meetings a week, working with steps, and even sponsoring people, I started to gain weight. How does this happen to me? How is that George, someone who thought he was a spiritual giant in the OA world, would find himself attending relapse meetings? For me, a good way to uh, tell whether you are in relapse or not is to check to see if you are spiritually fit. Ask yourself, how do your spiritual pants fit, so to speak? To be honest, I couldn't fit into my spiritual pants anymore. That's when I knew I was in relapse. Among other things, I was suffering from the most deadly ism any addict can suffer from. Have you guessed it? I was so spiritually enlightened that I started sponsoring myself. I had a terrific sponsor when I first came into the rooms and got absent, but he left the program many years ago and I didn't get another one. I kept telling myself, well, I worked on the steps. I guess I really don't need a sponsor anymore. So even though I was working a half-assed program, the reality was that I had no effective defense against taking that first compulsive bite. My relapse was slow and steady. My weight climbed one pound at a time as I continued to listen to the voice of my disease, <clears throat> which gently assured me that it really will be different this time. Go on, you can handle it. I lived in this delusional world, pretending that everything was fine with my food, with my life, with my community. None of this was true. And so I continued to compulsively eat and suffer as a result. Today, I have to take my abstinence seriously. Everything else in my life must revolve around it. For me, what I weigh today is a clear sign that the disease I suffer from is cunning, baffling, powerful, and persistent. It took being in relapse for me to understand the true depths of my disease. You see, I don't just have an eating problem. I wish it were that simple. No, who you're really looking at this morning is a foodaholic. And if I don't, and if I want to stand even a slight chance of recovery, I must face the full truth about the gravity of my disease. The reality of my disease that is powerful, progressive, and deadly. At some point, I lost all control over my food choices and food consumption. Things got so bad that I kept looking for another sponsor. I was really desperate when I went to Unity Day in February 2016. I heard someone share their experience, strength, and hope that morning. This person had what I wanted, and so I asked him to sponsor me. Any progress I've made in this program since that time is a result of our ongoing sponsorship relationship. <clears throat> Perhaps the most important uh, lesson that my current sponsor continues to remind me 
is just like any alcoholic who has a physical allergy to alcohol. I am just a foodaholic and I have a physical allergy to certain food substances, sugar and, food, and all wheat products. Eating these products creates a physical craving in me, which unaided, I cannot possibly control. What has changed for me since I've been in relapse? To begin with, I can't rest on my laurels anymore, how much, I weigh, how much weight I've lost. Despite all the progress I've made in this program, today I must take my disease very seriously. I can no longer be satisfied with my food being just okay. My time in relapse has taught me a very important lesson. I'm just a foodaholic, a simple compulsive overeater who has a potentially fatal disease. And because that's a fact, every morning after my current meditation, I check to see if I'm in physical, fit physical condition by taking my blood sugar. For me, absence is the action of refraining from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors while working towards or maintaining a healthy body weight. Yes, abstinence is freedom from compulsive eating, and that means putting a fork down. That is the first step. My, my sponsor constantly reminds me that I have to be completely out of the food before I can continue in recovery. As the big book reminds us, our only hope is to accept the spiritual help which was suggested to us in the 12 steps. With the support of my sponsor and my working with steps, I've learned to keep my focus clear. Yes, I can be absent today, provided my food is clean. However, my journey in recovery doesn't stop there. My sponsor, sponsor constantly reminds me that there is no graduation in this program. We don't issue diplomas after you work the steps. So after becoming abstinent, the challenge is, can I continue to put this design for living that I've been given into practical use day by day? Today, the question isn't, can I just be absent? Rather, as it says about in the 12 and 12, can we stay sober, keep an emotional balance, and live to good purpose under all conditions? That is a challenge for 10 step addresses. The first thing my current sponsor told me when we began working together was that the solution is simple, it is spiritual, and it isn't part of the problem. I had been struggling because I was stuck in a problem. I was continuing to compulsively overeat. He told me that the first thing I had to do was to put down the fork and get out of the problem, which was food. However, my journey doesn't end because I put the food down and I'm abstinent. He told me that once we recover physically, we can begin to recover emotionally by working the 12 steps. Only after we have gained some emotional sobriety can we begin to grow spiritually? And that is what the last three steps are all about, our spiritual development, so we can be of maximum service to others. I've been fortunate in that I've only had two sponsors in my 16 years in this program, and both of them sponsored me by taking me through the big book. In fact, my first sponsor gave me my, my copy of the big book, which I still have all marked up. Five minutes. Thank you. He said, gee, I don't care what the problem you have is. You'll always find a solution in this book. I guarantee it. And you know what? That's proven to be true for me. They both emphasize that the big book is our basic textbook for recovery. Problem, solution, problem, solution. That's the way it's been written 
And that's, and it works to a T if you follow their suggestions. Bill W. wrote somewhere that if we work the steps, we will have multiple spiritual awakenings. And that has also been my experience. My first awakening came as a result of my becoming abstinent and working the first three steps. The second awakening was the cessation of my emotional hangovers, all those negative emotions that continue to plague me. All the anger and resentment I've been carrying around for years disappeared after I worked steps four through nine. Unfortunately, many people stop right there. They mistakenly think, well, I'm good. I've cleared up the mess. I'm recovered. I can finally get on with my life and put all this, all this behind me. I found if you do that, you miss out on the really big awakening. And that's the spiritual awakening that comes as a result of working the final three steps. When, when people tell me how good I look and how well my life is going, I pause. And remember something Bill W. said in an article in AA Grapevine, to paraphrase Bill W. When people tell me how well I'm doing, I know better. We know we aren't doing well enough. We still can't handle life as it is. There's still a serious flaw in our spiritual practice and development. What is it? It can be traced to our misuse or neglect of the maintenance steps 10 through 12 taking a daily inventory, seeking the guidance of our higher power through prayer and meditation, and working with others. He ends by saying, the other steps can keep us sober and functioning, but steps 10 through 12 keep us growing spiritually if we try hard and work at it continually. Actually, the big book warns us of the danger of engaging in half measures. Having completed step nine, we are at a turning point. We can either stop right here and say, okay, I'm done. I've cleaned up the mess. I'm finished. However, if we're going to fully benefit from this program, then we have to do what the big book suggests. It says we had to continue to ask for our higher powers protection and care with complete abandon. When I was early in recovery, I asked a friend of mine who had almost 40 years of continuous sobriety what recovery was like. She sighed and said, First it's hard, then it gets easy, then it gets real hard. Actually, that's my experience as well. First it was hard to get absent, and then it gets a little easier as we get into the flow of working the steps, writing our inventory, giving it away, making our list and making amends. Then it gets real hard. That's when we start working step 10. Why is step 10 so hard? Why are we resistant to doing it? On the surface, it seems so, so easy, simple. We continue to take the personal inventory and when we are wrong, we probably admit it. An old timer once told me, George, we met the enemy and the enemy is us. Again, the big book points out our real problem. And some of these steps we balked, we thought we could find an easier, softer way. Like any good textbook, the big book provides us with specific instructions for working step 10. On page 84, the big book says, continue to watch for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. That's step four. When these crop up, we ask God at once to remove them. That's step six and seven. Step 10 continues, we share them with- One minute. Okay, okay. We share them with someone immediately and make amends quickly if we have harmed anybody. Step 10 clearly lays out the direction we are to follow 
and apply to whatever applies in the moment, in the conditions of our everyday life. When we follow these directions, we begin to naturally live into the promises. Personally, I found myself resisting working step 10 because for the first time I saw that this so-called spiritual life that I claimed I wanted to be a part of was not simply a theory. It was actually something I had to live by practicing all these spiritual principles I had learned in all my affairs. I would like to take a moment and describe how I work step 10 and the benefits I've received. For me, continuing to work step 10 to 12 is the key to maintaining my long-term sobriety. Just as steps one to three are a unit, so too are steps 10 to 12. They are sometimes referred to as the maintenance steps, and they start with step 10, which states continue to take personal inventory, and when we are wrong, promptly admitted it. For me, step 10 is a doorway through which I began to work. Okay, um, how much time do I have? You're done. Okay, I'll, I'll finish up. Finish up, please. Okay. Okay. I'm sorry. For me, step 10 is the doorway through which I begin to work steps six and seven on a deeper and more profound level. Wait a minute. I can hear you thinking, we've already worked steps six and seven. Aren't we done yet? The longer I'm in recovery, the more I've learned that my character defects and shortcomings are simply learned behaviors that are deeply embedded in my psyche. They can't be possibly discarded and forgotten with a snap of the fingers. The fact is they keep cropping up again and again. We're never finished with them. Step 10 gives us the tools, particularly the spot check inventory and the ability to observe when these character defects arise so we can spot the behaviors before it causes more harm. It's my experience that practicing step 10 grounds me in reality. In the previous nine steps, we're graphi we've graphically seen the harm we've caused others and even cleared up the debris of the past. Now, however, we enter the world of the spirit and our job is simply to grow in understanding and effectiveness. It was a working in step 10 that I was given one of the most bitter lessons in my time in recovery. Whenever I would self-righteously complain about X, Y, or Z, what they had done, my original sponsor would invariably bring up the spiritual axiom at the core of step 10. Have you forgotten it? It says every time we are disturbed, no matter what the cause, there is something wrong with us. This has met, meant in particular that I had to always begin to look for at my motivation and to search out if I had not actually harmed the other person, even if it was done unintentionally. Since we have completed the first nine steps, now it is easy to let up on our spiritual program of action and rest on our laurels. The big book warns us in stark terms, we still face a deadly foe. We are in fact not cured of what afflicts us. Step 10 warns us of the gravity of a situation that we face. We are really like a prisoner on death row. We are merely given a daily reprieve contingent on the maintenance of our spiritual condition. I have found that when I continue to take a daily 10th step, I'm humbly and honestly asking to be transformed in a very specific and personal way. Step 10 actually grounds me in the present moment. I no longer care about what I want or don't want to do. Instead, I start to focus on living that life of sane and happy usefulness. As long as I continue, I can look forward to how my friend with 40 years of sobriety described what Curry looks like in her life today. 
She said, believe it or not, George, today my life is just incredibly different. Can you imagine that? By continuing to practice steps 10 through 12, we gradually move from learning the steps to living them. The promises have come true for me. Today I've ceased fighting anything or anyone and somehow my life has been restored to Sandy. I've been given a new outlook on life without any thought or effort on my part. It just comes. So many of the problems that have plagued me for so long have been removed. They no longer exist. All of that is a miracle of the reality of my life today. And I trust that it will continue so long as I keep and fit this spiritual condition. I keep coming back because I want all of the promises to come true in my life. I want to learn how to be, stay abstinent, be happy, joyous, and free. And if it can happen to me, for me, it can happen for you too. That's a promise. Thank you, and I'm sorry I went over. <laughs>